If you're a health entrepreneur, coach, or practitioner that wants to turn your expertise into a high six or seven figure virtual business with less stress, so you can impact more people at a deeper level while making more money and enjoying a greater quality of life in the process, then the Healthpreneur Podcast is for you. I'm your host, Uriel Kame. I'm a former pro athlete, leading health expert, New York Times bestselling author, and the founder of Healthpreneur, where I help experts just like you create and fill high-end virtual coaching programs that create dream come true results for your clients. Now, for a free and in-depth training on how to do just that without manual prospecting, one-on-one coaching, or having to spend years building your online following, head on over to healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash training and jump on to our seven-figure health business blueprint training today. And now, let's get to today's episode. Hey guys, happy Friday. Yuri here with you. Hope your day is going great. Okay, so today we've got another great guest. His name is Ryan Glatt, and he has a really interesting take on coaching, and it's all about brain health. Pretty cool stuff. So without any further ado, we'll get into the interview in just a second. I wanna give you a bit of background as to who he is, so we have a bit of context. So Ryan develops curriculum for the health and fitness industry on health neuroscience and coaches individuals towards optimal brain health. He has completed programs from the Amy Clinics, the Neuro Coaching Institute, the Neuroscience Academy, and many, many others, really furthering his mastery of the topics of brain health, sleep, and mindfulness. And what we're going to talk about in this episode is two things. Number one, why his approach, and I'll talk about this in the interview, why his approach to what he's doing is very, very smart from a positioning standpoint in the marketplace, but also for you as a health coach or a health provider, how furthering your skill set, adding things to your toolbox, like what Ryan teaches, can be a very, very big value add for your clients. So without any further ado, let's welcome Ryan Glatt to the show. Ryan, what's up? Welcome to the Healthpreneur Podcast. How's it going? It's great, man. Thanks for having me, Eric. You are welcome. It's good to have you here. Always good to connect with some new peeps in our space doing some awesome stuff. Uh, you have a very interesting and unique approach to helping people. You have a, a great uh, brain health coaching program that you uh, you work with a lot of different professionals through. Walk us through. So I'm, I'm very interested because I don't from what I saw, I didn't really get a perspective about how you got into this, because I think a lot of people in our space get into what they do because of their own challenges or someone close to them that was suffering with something. What was your kind of pivotal moment that made you go down this route of really mastering brain health? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I don't think it was a pivotal moment. Um, I think for the sake of stories, there always should be this pivotal moment. But for me, I feel it was really about this kind of, you know, consequentially building uh, event towards moving towards this and more of an avalanche um, so things just built up and, you know, I was just seeing more information that convinced me, uh, more and more of needing to go this route with brain health. And, you know, I didn't really start out interested in brain health, although I did start studying animal behavior. I was trying to study, uh, animal behavior to, to learn how to train and manage exotic animals before I was a fitness, uh, a fitness professional. So it was a kind of a weird... type of a career path. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could say that for the, 
I don't want to go too deep into it, but it was basically training animals for movies and TV was like my life dream. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and then I didn't get into my dream program. I had recently lost a bunch of weight, became a personal trainer about 10 years ago. Um, and quickly, I was figuring out I was not very good at the weight loss, muscle gain crowd, but I was very logical and very investigative. And so this whole pain management and helping people figure out why they were in pain type of thing really became my calling. And that kind of transformed into physical therapy several years later. I got multiple certifications in you know, biomechanics, corrective exercise, soft tissue therapy. Uh, physical therapy school did not work out for me. I had a visa issue uh, going to school in Scotland. It's kind of a long story, but ended up being put in jail for seven days and deported back to LA. It was kind of weird. Um, so that wasn't for me, um, but figured out a way to get a license to touch in the state of California. I took the anatomy trains, uh, body work seminars uh, from Tom Myers and became what's called an anatomy trained structural integrator, which is a fancy way of saying I'm a soft tissue therapist. So I got my license to touch and I was doing what a PT might do. And I was um, you know, not diagnosing people, but working with a lot of people with uh, pain successfully. Um, and, you know, there were several instances where neuroscience kind of came across. One of which was uh, starting with the animal behavior type of content, which is all psychology and behavior change, you know, learning about Skinner's pigeons and Pavlov's dogs and learning how the brain relates to behavior change. All that was super fascinating to me. Um, and then how behavior change relates to what we do with our clients every day, whether you're trying to show them a drill or a stretch that you want them to do later on, or you're trying to get them to adhere to a whole new diet. Um, all of that has to do with behavior change, and that includes the brain. And then there's this huge movement in the pain neuroscience crowd now where we're learning the neuroscience of pain, knowing that it's not all physical, which is super important for our profession. And that you know introduced me to a lot of neuroscience um, and then just in my PT internship kind of experiential realm, you know, working with people with concussion and cerebral palsy and these neurological conditions that really got me interested. But I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me is for about two years, I was in a dark room from almost 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. just doing soft tissue and corrective exercise sessions with people. And I would just notice that these individuals were stressed out. They really weren't paying attention to what I was saying, not because they weren't interested, not because they had, didn't have a problem. They just didn't seem to have the attentional capacity. They wouldn't really remember what I would show them. And I started to think these are pretty basic cognitive processes that these people are really struggling with. I wonder why. And if I figure out why, I wonder if I can help them with the tools that a manual therapist, personal trainer and health coach has. You know, I'm working with sleep, nutrition, health behaviors, movements and you know the nervous system and i wonder what i can do to help that individual and so it was kind of these cumulative experiences that really said okay i want to know more about the brain because if i know more about the brain i then empower myself to change the brain of my client and i'm sure i'm doing that already but i want to know more and so i started to pursue a bunch of different certifications and really it just started with exercise uh interventions and like looking up the research on that and looking up the effects of exercise in the brain, because we're so myopic in terms of, you know, periodization and how to, you know, create this workout for this outcome. And I was wondering, well, that's all physically based. I wonder what we could do if we looked at different modalities of exercise, different ways we could tweak those variables to actually understand how to make different changes in the brain. Because different people with depression or anxiety, those have different patterns in the brain. I wonder if we could take 
things like exercise and different modalities, understanding what they do to the brain or understanding what they do with neurotransmitters and really put two and two together. Um, so that really became a constant research question for me for two years. I pursued different certifications, and while I really enjoyed learning what was out there and getting a nice base of knowledge, I'm still not satisfied by my quest for knowledge. And so it's kind of been self-directed. Um, I'm going to be pursuing a master's degree in neuroscience in October. But you know, really my education and my drive has been kind of self-directed with the help of mentors and other people who are also interested in brain health and neuroscience, um, but really just diving into research and seeing, can we solve a problem with science? And if science backs up the tools that I use and the strategies that I use as a health professional, who can we help with that? And so the, the type of population I typically work with now are individuals with dementia, people who are afraid of uh, getting dementia. Uh, people who have said, oh, I, I don't have dementia, but I feel my memory is slipping. That's what we call subjective cognitive decline. You know, people with stroke, people with uh, post-concussive syndrome or a sustained concussion or traumatic brain injury. These are all populations that I really feel confident in working with. And I have been able to help just with the tools and resources I have as, as a health professional. That's awesome. So, so I mean, so you're, I love this, like kind of committed to mastering this universe of the brain, which is arguably bigger than the universe, right? Um, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And we, we know so little, even though we know so much about it. What it. So give us a sense of what your business model looks like now, because you started off working with clients as a more of a trainer and a lot of kind of manual therapy, physical touch. How did you how did you kind of go from there to what you're doing now? What is what does now look like for you? Because I want to give our listeners a bit of perspective because we do have you know, massage therapists, manual therapists, uh, physical therapists listening to this who sometimes feel that they're limited to clinical work because it's one-on-one -on -one manual touch. How have you right. been able to take your expertise and kind of bring that online? Yeah, it's interesting because I didn't really think I'd go back to something more of an exercise intervention um, or a movement intervention. I thought I was really specializing towards the manual. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot of this where massage therapists are also personal trainers and they're trying to provide this comprehensive service and they're also health coaches, um, you know, or any combination thereof. And I think what's interesting is that we're in an age where we can do that. And what was inspiring for me is to be able to say, well, you know, what? I'm going to get out of manual therapy and start doing movement again, uh, but also, you know, get a certification in behavior change and health coaching and be able to do that process as well. Because my whole idea was to create a business model in which I had coaches certified under my method, but I was also having a coaching practice for individuals struggling with anxiety, depression, um, post-concussive syndrome. And these were people that were usually referred by a, a mental health professional. So I wasn't overstepping my boundaries. They thought that exercise or health interventions would be good for them. You know, we made very specific to their, their use case. And so I was getting a good referral network from psychologists, but there was something about the coaching business. I don't know if it was my personality. I've just never been good at sustaining a one-on-one -on -one practice like really, really, really well. Mm -hmm. um, but I, the, the first business model was create some sort of ed education or certification and then have coaches under me, but first establish a strong coaching practice. And, you know, I had quite a few clients. Um, I wouldn't say it was the easiest practice, but it was definitely a productive one, a lucrative one. And I felt like I was making a significant impact. Um, I just wish there was a better curriculum out there that would have prepared me, but I'm either helping other people do that or creating that curriculum right now. And where my business ended up shifting is I started prospecting 
um, different clients for consulting. And so I found a technology company called SmartFit, uh, or rather they found me uh, through my Instagram, which was very surprising, and said, hey, we have a technology that can train brain and body at the same time, which was my area of research and still is, um, which is combining cognitive and physical challenges together for an enhanced effect, which is more effective for your brain than doing either of them alone. And so basically they, they found me on Instagram, you know, putting all these posts out because I was trying to educate people about this concept uh, and flash forward a, a few months and I'm, I've been consulting with them. It's my first ever consulting contract. Uh, you know, legitimate consulting contract. And so I was making significant income from that for a while. And then, you know, I was really hoping to find a way to start a brain health gym, like a way to have a valid um, fashion of assessing individuals and their brain function, um, you know, gathering their goals. These are typically people they've been all over the place and nobody can help them and using exercise, sleep coaching and nutrition coaching specific to their goals to really help them neurologically. And, you know, it was kind of a, a struggle to, to do this. I was collecting a lot of equipment I would need, but I was very hesitant to open a gym on my own. Sure enough, uh, one of my mentors, who's a neuroscientist out of uh, UC San Diego and studies combined cognitive physical training for individuals with schizophrenia and, uh, and dementia and mild cognitive impairment, ended up being hired as the director in Santa Monica for a, a place called the Pacific Neuroscience Institute which had, you know, quite a significant amount of money to create what's called a brain health center, which is exactly the center that I was describing in my vision. Hmm. And so whether it was manifestation or good luck or I have no freaking idea, but now I'm working for them full time while consulting. Um, and I went kind of from this very uh, weird phase where I'm like trying to make this this reality in which brain health coaching and, um, you know, using exercise for brain health was a reality uh, in, a, in a valid one, not just one that people are like, oh, that's cool, that's kid, this kid is passionate, but you know, it's not really valid, it's kind of a one-off concept. I really wanted it to be something that was accepted and valid and progressing, and now I'm at a point where I'm, you know, I have this consulting position, I'm starting a, uh, this position at this, this brain health clinic next week, um, and I'm projected to make my first six figures, which is tremendous for being able to uh, you know, be in this model doing what I love, um, you know, and I, I wasn't really attached to what it looked like. And it's this kind of process of, of constantly reiterating, constantly prototyping your career. And I think people are really attached to the models that other others pitched to them. And I was, I was attached to a, a coaching model or the way people have launched a co course before, but I was, uh, eventually I just had this mentality of, well, let's see what works. Let's see what doesn't. And I've just ended up in this position and, I'm not stopping there. I'm creating a certification with the uh, Functional Aging Institute mm -hmm. to certify personal trainers who are interested or already working with older adults uh, to use exercise and present all the research on what different modalities of exercise do to the brain in aging and how to really program to prevent or slow cognitive decline or dementia. And so those are kind of my three things is, is consulting, working in this brain health center and creating education so other people can do it. Um, and it's just you know, now coming to fruition after a couple of years. That's awesome. Good for you, man. That's wicked. Give us give us a sense of, so when we talk about an exercise program for someone to lose weight versus an exercise program <laughs> for somebody with cognitive decline, is what is what does that look like? Like, what is the actual, is there, what types of exercises, can you give a couple examples of exercises or, or differences between the two and what that might look like so our listeners have a better sense of, visually of what that might represent. 
Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So let's say we have an individual that's 60 years old that's saying, oh, my, I'm starting to lose my memory. Um, I don't have dementia, but my parents had dementia and Alzheimer's. I'm very frightened. Uh, they're already working out, but they feel like they're still declining. What is going on? How can I help my brain? And so what you can do as a fitness professional is understand, uh, and I'm trying to make this easy for people by creating these courses uh, and putting content out there, but understand what the science says about different modalities. So what do we have at our disposal? We have strength training, we have resistance training, we have aerobic training, we have motor and coordinative training, things that require coordination and, and learning a new skill or a new movement. We have stretching and mobility. We even have breath work. We can facilitate mindfulness for people if you have that education. Um, so these are all the things that we have at our, dis our disposal as modalities. And then we can also prescribe or suggest physical activities like swimming, hiking, um, martial arts, dance, all of these things you can either get certified in, refer to, or have people go do somewhere else. And if you take uh, the role of, uh, of authority as a health coach and really start to identify which each of those mechanisms and those modalities do to the brain, which you know I've, I've been studying, and I'm happy to help any of you or any of your listeners figure that out uh, there after the show, but basically each of them have a different effect, whether it's on the effect of the, on the neurotransmitter level, some release more dopamine, some release more serotonin, some release more acetylcholine in response to novelty, which accelerates cortical plasticity of the brain, blah, 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 blah. So there's all these different neurotransmitters that are kind of themed per each modality. Then there's different parts of the brain that are activated during these modalities. Um, and over time, there's adaptations, just like muscle tissue, that occurs to the brain tissue from these adaptations and from these modalities. And so uh, there's also a change in brain function, how you know fast the neurons fire, which neurons are firing, you know how many neurons are there, do we create new neurons? And then there's uh, usually a, a change on uh, cognition, which is your ability to interact with the day-to-day. -day. So your abilities to, to memorize, to plan, to think, to organize, those are all of your cognitive functions. And so exercise has an effect on a variety of these structures and functions and neurotransmitters. And we just want to understand which each one uh, uniquely does. What, what effects does it have? Just like we understand physically. And so once you understand that, you can kind of organize a program saying, okay, I want you to do resistance training at this intensity, um, you know, but this specific type of resistance training where you're learning novel movements, not going in the machines, and you're doing more functional movements three times a week. And then I want you to do 60 to 75% of your aerobic capacity uh, by running twice a week, or I want you to go hiking twice a week, or I want you to pick one activity like dance that you've never done before. Uh, one to two times a week. It's, we, we start helping them program what activities they're doing throughout the week, as well as when they're in the session. If you are, you know, facilitating movement for that individual, you know, let's work on novel movements or let's let's do some sport-like movements that combine reaction time and hand-eye coordination and almost cognify or enhance uh, through cognitive stimulus these exercises we're already doing with them, but giving them also a cognitive benefit a brain benefit during the personal training session as well. And that ends up being super engaging. And let's start with mobility and breath work and end with mindfulness. And so that those are a wide variety of the strategies we employ as brain-friendly health professionals and, and personal trainers to be able to deliver that. And the reason that's important is because most of these individuals will find, okay, what's the best 
modality for brain health. Okay, I'm going to do aerobic exercise. And that's all they do. But the reality is there's an individual um, individualization requirement for a lot of this because everyone has a different brain. At the same time, Yuri, there's also <clears throat> this requirement to have variability because there's an aspect of novelty uh, that the brain really, really loves. And when we have that same routine for 10 years, the brain has kind of gone to this automatic processing. And really what we want is to bring it back to the, uh, the cortical processes that are used to processing new information, novel information, always adapting. And so we hear all the time these mnemonics of, oh, you know, learning something new is great for the brain. Well, where does that reflect in our exercise regimens? It typically does not. It's typically something that is focused on a physical outcome, but if people have a brain pain point, which everybody does, we're not just we're not prepared to cater to that yet because of a lack of education. But on a high level, that's what a brain health program might look like, is we're making all those considerations. And we haven't even talked about the sleep considerations. We haven't even talked about the nutritional considerations. There is, there is now an emerging field of nutrition called nutritional psychiatry, where there are protocols for individuals with dementia, anxiety, depression. We need to learn those and employ those strategies. In addition, if you don't know the how to coach sleep, not just knowing that eight hours of sleep is beneficial, that's like telling someone, you know, vegetables are good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> but we need to know how to coach sleep, how to identify an individual circadian rhythm, how to coach their individual circadian rhythm so that they can have optimal brain health. All of those things are critical, but you know, I don't mean to be overbearing to the professional. However, these tools are there. They exist. The information is there. And what I'm trying to do is make it accessible and comprehensive for individuals, but the information is out there. You just need to be minded on, okay, I care about this problem, whatever the problem is. It could be mental health. It could be cognitive decline. It could be a very underserved population like uh, post-rehabilitative stroke or concussion and serving that population and using the tools you already have, not overstepping your scope or even expanding your scope by seeking out more education to serve those populations, which would be entrepreneurial via solving a problem in huge populations that no one's really solving a problem for. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and it's exciting that you're teaming up with um, Dan and Cody from the Functional Aging Institute because one of the most inspiring videos that I've seen is one of the videos that they have on their website of like 85-year-old women throwing kettlebells around yeah. and like doing the ropes. And I'm like, that is what's possible. And I think when that's combined with what you're talking about, it's amazing as, uh, of what we can do as humans and not fall into these limiting beliefs of, you know, life after 60 or 70 has to go down. And like, you know, so it's just really cool to be able to expand horizons and, and really bring this, these ideas, the information, but also maybe a new mindset about what's possible as we get older, which is uh, which is pretty amazing. Absolutely. And, you know, part of that mindset is people don't think that, you know, they didn't think that we could, you know, slow physical decline. And Dan and Cody are doing an excellent job of busting those myths, and they still have a lot of work to do. But we also used to think that the brain couldn't change. But, you know, fast forward several decades, and now we know neuroplasticity is this very proven concept, right? And so, the idea is with these older adults or just individuals in general are with us, how can we maximize neuroplastic change for brain health while they are with us? And we can do that through exercise, but while they're in this physiological state, we have this sensitive window where we can also add cognitive stimulus, whether you're getting them to pay attention to a, a 
piece of stimuli very intensively or you're giving them a novel movement or I'm treating these older adults like athletes and giving them hand-eye exercises and having them react to things. And what if that individual that was swinging a kettlebell that you saw in the video was also, you know, using both their hands to alternatively catch tennis balls while standing on one leg mm -hmm. and their hand-eye coordination is like a teenager. That is possible, but we're not, one, we're, we're treating people as if they were fragile and two, we're not taking the opportunity to maximize this window that we have with people to not just maximize their bodily health, but their cognitive health. Yeah, totally. It's actually a lot of fun because I do this. I do quite a bit of this stuff with my kids who are four, five and seven because I have a background in soccer and I was a goalie. So nice. yeah. a lot of hand-eye coordination type of exercises, uh, sort of like, you know, reaction time. So we'll do fun things like we'll have a tennis ball with different numbers on it and I'll throw it at them. I'm like, hey, tell me what number you see as it comes into your hand and, like, and doing all sorts of cool things. But it'd be fun to do that with someone who's in their 70s or 80s because... Or for you to do it in the gym. Like, yeah, do totally. you do that stuff in the gym for a particular reason? And the power of that, Yuri, is, you know, I don't think we'll assess you on the podcast, but it would be great to assess you and say, hey, Yuri, what are the areas of cognition that you're really struggling with? Is it attention? Is it memory? Is it processing speed? And give you, you know, soccer-like drills that you implement while your heart rate is up, while you're in the gym, that you can replicate on your own or with a partner that can help to maximize or improve those areas of cognition. And if you're like, Ryan, my issue is... Uh, working memory, and I can't memorize the tasks I was working on or this person I was supposed to reach out to or the names, and that's affecting my business. I can say, Yuri, you're already working out. Just do these drills while you're working out. Do it for two to three weeks. And if you see a significant difference, that's buy-in. And that's not you know, for aging. That's not for concussion. That's for Yuri, maximizing his abilities and his potential in non, not a woo-woo way, in a scientific way, mm -hmm. through a modality you're already engaging in and you already love. And as you know with your kids, this ends up being playful and fun. And that's that's a mentality and a, an experience that I think people are missing from the gym nowadays yeah. and missing from exercise altogether. So I think we can really bring some light literally to this uh, this industry by by making this concept happen. So I'm gonna, I wanna shift uh, focus to business application for this in, in two ways. Number one, uh, for everyone listening, what I get excited about when Ryan's talking about this is number one, the fact that this is so novel to the way that most people coach others with their health becomes very attractive to potential clients to want to engage in this. Absolutely. And, and that's really important. You know, If you're selling a product, how is this product different from another one? This type of protocol, when you can introduce this to somebody, they have not seen this before, they have not engaged in this before, that gives them, I think, a huge sense of hope and optimism for better results, which I think as a health coach or a practitioner of any, you know, of any form, adding this type of skill set to your arsenal becomes a huge value add or value proposition to your potential clients or your existing clients. Second thing I wanna, I wanna ask you, Ryan, is we talked about novelty, neuroplasticity, you know, for instance, me learning to throw with my left hand instead of my right hand, doing things that we're uncomfortable doing and developing those new neural pathways. How do we as entrepreneurs, because we're so indoctrinated in the development of habits, morning routine or get into specific habits because your life becomes a reflection of your habits, blah, blah, blah. How yeah. do we balance the seeming importance of habits with the importance of adding new things that we're not used to doing, doing things almost completely the opposite of our habits to continually grow those 
neural pathways and helping us grow mentally? That's a great question. So I'll start with the first one, uh, which I don't know if the first one was a question, but just to speak on the marketing, the marketability of this. Um, and I would just say to add to that, for my journey, what I found to be most successful is find other professionals, organizations, people who understand uh, what you're talking about or are aligned in that mission, mental health professionals, doctors, other trainers that would help to refer people to you for this type of outcome yeah. and then be able to you know, really market yourself in that niche. And if individuals might come to you and say, well, you're a trainer, what do you know about the brain? You know, just start that conversation by adding value, sending them education. Hey, here's what exercise does to the brain. I have tons of resources on my website you can send. But I've had a lot of, um, you know, trouble kind of differentiating myself between the physical guy and the brain guy. And sometimes you do have to pick one. But being able to almost preach to your audience, to your niche about the unique value of this has been has been really beneficial. And if it's troublesome, you will find your um, your niche. Maybe it's a group, uh, it's a community of people um, in your local area, uh, parents and kids that struggle with autism or concussion or dementia. I mean, you've got to really find your niche, but once you do, it's an extremely profitable and a very impactful and, and gratifying way to, uh, you know, work with your practice and maybe even change your practice completely. So that's why I would say for that, for the second piece there, Yuri, um, talking about habits, um, I would assume that question is, you know, changing habits if that was beneficial for the brain. Is that right? Yeah, it's kind of. A, I mean, it's it's kind of a bit of a maybe a yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not too sure if it can go both ways. I guess. Okay. Like you know, like how so we know we want to be developing the right habits, but at the same time, do we want to get so stuck on our habits that we no longer allow flexibility for new learnings, like new yeah. formations to be happening in our brain? Well, it's almost as if the trend I'm seeing now is not, don't just, you know, create good habits, but here's a book on a hundred habits that make you successful. Mm -hmm. That's information overload. Yeah. That's not, uh, that's not really a good way to go about it. I think everyone's really obsessed with what are the habits, but habits take time. It takes energy. It takes glucose. It takes attentional resources and it's stressful. And I would say the first thing for entrepreneurs, and I think this very much applies to me too, is regulate the autonomic nervous system. Figure out how to manage your stress response. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the stress load, the amount of load that you're taking on that causes stress is not relative uh, or, or below your stress capacity. And even if it's just a little bit, people are going above their capacity for stress. And you know whether you're excited or whether you're saying it's for money or whether you're driven, it doesn't matter. Your nervous system doesn't care. What your nervous system cares about is what is your stress capacity and what is your stress load. And the reason I mention that is because if you're stressed out and your autonomic nervous system's upregulated and you're going beyond your stress capacity, your cognitive processes, so your learning abilities, your abilities to create new habits, take in new information, be flexible, regulate your emotions, all of these things that are critical to entrepreneurs will not be effective. And that, this is why people who are stressed out usually have explosions of behavior that are not desired or, you know, they fail in business or they have anxiety attacks. Like if you listen to Craig Valentine's story um, and all of these things are, are valid. And, you know, if, if you look at the, some of the biggest, uh, you know, uh, mistakes in business, I can't remember. I think it's Exxon making an oil deal and it was the worst decision ever. All those people were sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. And so their decision making abilities were impaired. 
or your, imbil- your ability to control your impulses or not listen to your, your, your gut feeling. All of those cognitive and embodied cognitive processes will be limited if you are stressed. And I'm not saying, you know, don't be stressed, eat your vegetables. I'm just saying take an honest look at what your, your stressful inputs are and write them down and rate them on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most stressful, one being the least stressful. And, you know, look at your, your relaxing or your parasympathetic inputs and rank those on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most relaxing, one being the least relaxing and see where your score is at. If you're parasympathetic score is not double the sympathetic score, the stress load inputs, you are not succeeding at balancing your stress load. And that is the reality. Mm-hmm. You either need to cut down your stress load or you need to add more you know, ways of decompressing and giving yourself a way to get out of that entrepreneurial mindset. And as you do that, you will be more creative, experience better cognitive processing. Um, all the things that you want to have done by trying to incorporate these habits, you will, you will be getting done. And so I think when it comes to habit development, we have to ask what, what position or what benefit does that habit serve? How does that habit serve us? And sometimes you're better off eliminating habits or not having those habits at all, or just saying, what's the one habit that will allow me to manage my stress loads? If it's having a morning routine where I'm planning my day so I don't get stressed out because I have ADHD-like tendencies, and then making sure I work out later in the day so that you know I get all those associated cognitive physical benefits, let's just stay at that. And why does there need to be more? Why does there need to be more? If you have a structure around your day that allows you to be productive, great. Mm-hmm. Do I need to throw in the cold shower and throw in the gratitude journal and throw it? Yeah, I know all those things are beneficial, but if it causes me more stress to manage that, manage that what am I doing? Yeah, and right. I feel that's the uh, position we're in nowadays. It's just more and more and more and more and more. And if we're not in the information overload of our actual job, our actual work, we're looking to information overload ourselves in terms of self-development and it's it's not always effective. And so that's what I would suggest for individuals. Oh, that's good. It's the the twenty part morning routine, right? Like it's it's just too much. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this. One final question, then we'll jump into the rapid five. Uh, social media, smartphones, lack of attention in adults, as well as in adolescence. Is this a real problem? And obviously these these platforms, whether it's you know Facebook or, or Instagram, are kind of built to kind of trip out our dopamine uh, response and so forth. But is this a real issue for entrepreneurs to worry about uh, in terms of their maybe uh, receding attention because of these types of platforms and, and our, our, the amount of time we're spending in them? And if so, what's one simple way we can start to kind of work against that and, and, and become more focused in what we do and in how we live? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I think the answer is yes. It's also a continuity of that, that stress load versus stress capacity. And so every time you switch from task to task, so I switch from the computer where I'm working on a, a business-related task to my Instagram and my email, I'm switching back and forth, you are wasting attentional resources, which are finite. You don't have an infinite amount of those. And you are uh, increasing the amount of time it takes to refocus back on that task. So you are, in effect, being more uh, or less productive, rather. And it, it does have a negative effect on brain function and structure. And we live in this distracted world. Adam Gazelli is a neuroscientist who wrote a book called The Distracted Mind, all about this concept. 
Um, you know, and all the general self-care tactics like get in nature, exercise, sleep, eat well, all help with remediating that. But it doesn't get to the core of the problem, which is I have an issue with switching from task to task, and my phone is a big part of that. And I've noticed these individuals, entrepreneurs, that you know have a high stress load will be upregulated. And, and when you're upregulated, observe your own eye behavior and how you feel. Your heart rate's up. Your eyes are darting back and forth. So it's almost perpetuating this jump on my phone, jump back. You know, this very uh, – this, this behavior that seems like you're like a squirrel, <laughs> basically. Yep. And, you know, I think it, the first thing you have to do is regulate that nervous system response, recognize that what you're doing with your task switching behavior is not serving you, and then do something environmentally with your phone, whether it's putting it on an airplane mode and, uh, you know, putting it somewhere else for an hour, scheduling that, putting it in a, uh, the whole thing of putting it in a, in a drawer or something hasn't really worked for me, but putting it on airplane mode and keeping it face down is effective for me. And then just single tasking. You know, if I have multiple tabs open, drag that tab. So it's a single tab. So I'm focusing on one task, go by checklists. All those things have really helped me because I'm the guy who struggles with that stuff, whether I study the brain or not. And so I would say, uh, in addition to that, entrepreneurs seem to attach their value to their image um, to the amount of emails to check. And so there's a justification going on psychologically of this is my relationship to my phone, social media, and email uh, on a mobile device. And so when I convince myself as an entrepreneur that my value is there and I'm going to continue to check it rapidly or obsessively, and anytime I try to convince myself out of it, I say, well, I got to do this for work and I got to have value. But ask yourself, how much money do you really get from doing that? Usually not very much. And so are you, you know, be a good entrepreneur and invest in the things that bring you income. And if Instagram arguably can or does bring you income, then say, all right, well, how much time do I need to invest into Instagram to get that? What's the minimum amount of time? And so now you start to use the part of your brain that is driven by your motivations to kind of out convince the obsessive behavior. But we really do need to change our relationship to our phones. And there's some good companies out that like uh, out there helping with that. One's called Brick, B-R-I-C-K. Uh, and they're creating an app to, you know, kind of give you points and reward you for the amount of time you're not on your phone and then giving you different strategies to reform your relationship to your phone. All that is crucial, even for me, because some of these processes have become automatic. That's awesome. Good stuff. Um, we're going to shift into the rapid five in just a second, but what is the best place for our listeners to follow you online? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram, uh, follow me obsessively and follow me every second of the day. Uh, that's really good for your brain. Um, you can follow me at glatt.somatic. It's G-L-A-T-T dot S-O-M-A-T-I-Q. Um, or you could go to somatic, S-O-M-A. T-I-Q dot C-O. So somatic.co. It's somatic with a Q, not a C. Uh, IQ was cleverly placed in there. Um, Yeah. So uh, (laughs) you can go there. I have like a free training on how to combine brain health and and cognitive health with exercise and what you do as a health coach. Um, There's a free three-part training on there. I do this really popular weekly email called Brain Bullets where I summarize all the you know research on health and the brain, and I send it. I summarize it to you in three bullet points and send it out every week. That's really really popular. And then uh, we'll also be announcing to our email list uh, that that new course that we're launching with FAI Dan and Cody when that comes out. Awesome. Um, 
so those are my my main mediums there. Cool. Um, yeah, so happy to help anyone that wants to reach out directly um, with because I get a lot of great messages like, hey, I've struggled with depression. I'm a personal trainer. I've really thought about working with mental health professionals. Thank you for talking about this. So I know people are out there that have thought about this concept and are looking for mentorship and I'm happy to help anyone. That's great. And we'll be sure to link up to all that in the show notes for you guys. So Ryan, are you ready for the rapid five? I mean, it sounds dangerous. It is. It's very dangerous. Um, but honestly, it's whatever comes top of mind. First answer is probably the best one. Um, I'll take the risk. Exactly. All right. So here we go. Uh, number one, what is your biggest weakness? Uh, my biggest weakness would be ego um, and the need to always be right hmm. and seem smart. It's a big problem. Number two, what is your biggest strength? Uh, my biggest strength is my ability to connect ideas and back back it up uh, with passion and be motivated by passion and drive. Awesome. Number three, what's one skill you've become dangerously good at in order to grow your business? I could or I have. Um, sorry, what, so one skill you have developed. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, that's a great one, man. Jeez. Uh, I would say the one skill that I've developed to be dangerously good at my business is learning how to rapidly monetize information. Nice. That's a good one. Uh, number four, what do you do first thing in the morning? Uh, the first thing I do in my morning is I write down what I have to do for the day and review it. Awesome. And finally, complete the sentence. I know I'm being successful when? Uh, I wake up with a big freaking smile on my face. No, I mean, I am making a huge impact in the lives of others. Awesome. Love it. Ryan Glad. thank you so much for joining us on the show, buddy. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Yuri, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. So one of the things that I really want to highlight from this episode is the fact that when you're entering into a marketplace, you know, and I've talked about this before, you know, there's really no competition. Like you are unique, your message is unique, you're, you're the messenger, uh, you know, sharing your authentic voice matters, really providing and focusing your marketing and everything you do on, on producing results for your clients, that's really how you separate yourself. But what's cool about what Ryan's done is that if, let's just look at the example of ensuring that our client's results is our number one priority. If you're working with clients in a capacity where they might be served by adding in some type of neuro brain training, then really furthering your skill set, adding things to your toolbox that you can then deploy with your clients can really be a smart move in some cases. Now, I have no affiliation with Ryan's program and I don't, I don't get a commission or anything like that. But when I, when I see opportunities like this, I think it's interesting to be able to look at complementary skill sets that you can develop in and really help your clients to a greater level. So you know, there's no shortage of certifications in the health and fitness space. I mean, like it seems like health and fitness experts are on drugs and the drugs being certifications. And I think that's a good thing in some cases because it's it shows that as a as a as an industry, we are very growth oriented, which is great. We want to better serve our clients, we want to better improve ourselves, and I think that's awesome. So whatever you can do that's gonna really help your clients, you know, all the power to you. So that's the, that's the one thing I really want to kind of leave you with here. The second thing is how, from a positioning standpoint, as we talked about, I said, listen, like Ryan, like what he's developing is very unique. There's no shortage of health coaches, right? There's no shortage of health coaches coming out of the Institute of Integrated Nutrition or anywhere else. And a lot of them are saying the same things. And yes, you'll be able to resonate with different people, 
But when, and I had a lady ask me about this on Instagram uh, the other day. And, and by the way, if you're not following me on Instagram, what are you doing? Come on, at healthpreneur1. That's where I'm at. So when she was asking me, she's, she asked, does it make sense to narrow down and focus on one perfect client when you can serve a whole bunch of different demographics? And I said, well, it depends if you want to succeed or fail in business. So if you want to succeed in business, I would strongly recommend you narrow down and focus on one niche or niche, however it's said. Because what that means is when people think of you, they're going to think of, oh, so-and-so. They're going to, you're going to occupy a shelf or a drawer in someone's mental closet, in their mental cabinetry. And you want them to think about, when they think about brain health, they think about Ryan Glatt, for instance. Right? When they think about XYZ, they think about whoever. When they think about whatever it is you want to be known for, that's what you want them to think about. So for me, for Healthpreneur, when you know a health or fitness expert is, how do if they're thinking, how do I build my coaching program? How do I build out a coaching business? Their number one thought is Healthpreneur. That's, that's the embedding type of marketing we want people to have. We want them to know us for one thing. And I've made the very, very clear distinction over the past couple of years to, to move away from a lot of the stuff we were doing before. And now it's just this, that's it, right? It's, you know, if you want to grow a coaching business, a successful coaching business, we are your best stop, assuming obviously you're a health and fitness expert to do so in a very profitable and predictable manner without one-on-one coaching. So for you, what is the one thing you wanna be known for in your marketplace? And if you can build your business around that, you'll have a lot more success. And don't worry, you're gonna alienate a lot of people, it's all good, but there's always gonna be a lot of people who are gonna resonate more with your specificity. So if you need help with this, and you haven't yet gone through our seven-figure health business blueprint training, then what are you waiting for? Do it today. Go to healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash training. Go through the free training, it's a 70-minute training. I guarantee it'll be some of the best time you spent on your business. 